Well, good morning, friends. Great to see you this morning. Those of you watching online, we're glad that you're with us as well. Uh, man, what a, what a great morning God has given us. You know, the struggle is real, right? That's one of our new favorite phrases when things are going, you know, a little, little tough. The, the struggle's real. For some of you getting up this morning, the struggle is real, man, you know? Uh, in a month when we go to the ballot boxes, struggle's going to be real, you know? Um, when, when every day we have to resist the temptations that come into our life, man, the, t- the temptations to just lie or lust or, you know, gossip or be prideful, it's just the struggle is real. It's just true. Life is full of struggles. I know one of the struggles that I greatly wrestled with growing up in my life early on was just a, a storm of anger that was always brewing in my spirit. This was an angry young man. And just as Jesus uh, calmed the raging sea of the Galilee, he calmed the raging sea in my life. And one of the ways he did that was through the power of his word. God didn't just automatically take away my struggle the second I came to Christ. There was a process, a process that we've been learning about called sanctification, right? Uh, There's a process that God used, but God used his word greatly in that process. And the more I lived in God's word, the more God's word lived in me. And the more God's word lived in me, the greater victory I had over my struggles. And I know uh, memorizing Bible verses was a huge part of my growth and victory in my life in Christ. I know uh, one of my favorite verses during that season, and even now I still recall and pull up as needed, is James 1.20. In James 1.20, God says that the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. And what would happen is when when I found myself in situations where uh, someone something did or someone something said or whatever happened that would would spark that fury, that that volcano that was dormant when it wanted to ignite, I found myself going to that verse and distancing myself from the situation, quoting that verse, praying that verse, Lord, I know that this anger, that sinful anger that is brewing in me right now is not going to accomplish the righteousness that you want in my life. And whatever I'm about to say right now or do right now is probably not a good idea. So Lord, shut my mouth. (laughs) Lord, the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. And that was one of the verses that I clung to during that season. And I was able to overcome uh, with victory through the word of Christ. What is the struggle that you're wrestling with? What is something that just keeps plaguing you and that you keep wrestling with? And every day you wake up, there's this tug of war that takes place throughout the day or this unwelcome uh, adversary that that comes into your life through the the week that you just can't seem to get rid of. Well, you you too can also overcome through the power of God's word. And we as self-feeders are people who take personal, personal initiative to get into God's word. As we're in the study called Living New, where we're looking at spiritual growth and foundational beliefs of the faith, we're looking at it through the lens of these uh, fruits of new life. And and one of those fruits is that we would be self-feeders, people who take initiative to live in God's word so that God's word lives in us. And God's given us a relationship with Jesus. God's given us uh, the Holy Spirit. And God's given us his word so that we can overcome the struggles in our life. And so we're going to turn once again to the supernatural, credible, reliable, true, trustworthy Bible. Now, last week, uh, we were looking at Scripture closely, and we really answered the question, why? Why the Bible? Why do we believe it? You know, uh, why do we trust it? Today is going to be a little bit more about how. And how do I get into the Bible? 
How, how do I see the Word of God help me overcome struggles in my life? And so I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to look at a, a, basically a case study, a situation that will demonstrate that for us. And so uh, turn to Matthew 4, and as you prepare for this time, let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, your thoughts, your insights, your instructions, your discipline, your encouragement, your way, your truth through your word. God, forgive us for the moments we doubt. Forgive us for the moments that we neglect, Lord. God, stir in us a greater desire to know your word and to live in your word and for your word to come alive in us and to help us, Lord. We all come here today with struggles, Lord. All, all of us come today with battles, some of them the same, some of them very different and diverse. But Lord, we all come with the same need, the same need to draw close to you and to become like you. Lord, we continue to pray for our nation. Lord, we know that in a month we're going to be making decisions for leaders, not just one position, but for many offices in our country, Lord. We pray that we would trust you, we would lean on you, Lord. We know that we do not put our trust in the men and women, but Lord, we put our trust in you, God. So help us navigate uh, this next month plus, Lord, with complete trust in you and the ability to uh, use a privilege and a freedom that we have in this country, Lord, in an appropriate way. So God, uh, instruct us now as we turn to your word. We ask in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. amen. The best example of experiencing victory through God's word during the struggle comes from a moment in the life of Jesus. And Jesus was preparing for his, his ministry. He was about 30. He just got baptized in the Jordan River. And now the Holy Spirit is leading him into a place of wilderness to be tested, to be tempted by the devil himself. And we're going to see how uh, Jesus navigated that struggle. And so we're in Matthew chapter 4. We're in verses 1 through 11. Let's find ourselves there together, reading from this point. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. I love how the Bible just states real obvious things, you know. <laughs> and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, which by the way, when you look at that word if right here in the original language, really it really implies more of since. It's not like if, as in, well, like if you're the Son of God, it's more like since you're the Son of God, okay? Since you're the Son of God, if you're the Son of God, Command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, which we know as Jerusalem, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. We understand ministering to him was bringing refreshment through possibly food, water, and personal company. And this is the scenario that we see. This was an additional moment of preparation in the life of Jesus, led by the Spirit into this encounter. And after 40 days and nights of fasting, Jesus was physically weak. He was hungry, he was fatigued, and he was in the wilderness. And just in case you don't have a visual, here's an actual picture of the Judean wilderness, okay? Uh, for those of us who've been to Israel, you've seen this in person. And if you were to travel from Jerusalem to, let's say, the Dead Sea, going south in Israel, you look to the left, you look to the right, you know what you see? 
wilderness, man. There's like nothing out there. There's rocks, there's hills, lots and lots of sand, and an occasional stubborn shrub that's trying to make it, you know? That's the wilderness. This is what Jesus hung out in for 40 days, 40 nights, no food, strictly depending on his father. And so notice the devil now had prime conditions, right? Jesus was in a dry, barren place. He was hungry, he was tired, and this is when the devil waited to strike. He figured, he thought, his best thinking came to the conclusion that in this weakened state, Jesus would be easy prey. What he didn't count on is that Jesus had something strengthening him, but was much superior to physical food and comfort. He had the word of God in him. Now, the devil loves to attack us when we're at our weakest moments, doesn't he? Now, he's not God. Sometimes we attribute uh, characteristics to the devil, to, to a very real devil that only belong to God. He doesn't see everything. He can't read your thoughts. He can't be everywhere at once. But he's a general, and he uses his little minions to do his work, and he's very observant. And so he, he can tell, and his little minions can tell, those little demons can tell, that when we're in a dry and desolate place, he can tell when we're in a barren place, and we're hungry, and we're tired, and we're more prone to fail. When we're weak, we are more susceptible to failure, unless we know that uh, those who understand that God's grace is sufficient for us, and his power is made perfect in what? Weakness. It's from God's word, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. That even when we're weak in the Lord, we can be what? Strong. Now notice the nature of the struggle that Jesus experienced. It's pretty obvious. Notice the types of temptation that he encountered. They're pretty clear. But more importantly for our time today, notice how Jesus fights back. So I want you guys to fixate on today. Look how Jesus fights back. Let's just look at that first temptation. This is really a temptation of self-reliance. Jesus was hungry. He wanted food. He had the ability as God's son to make food miraculously materialize. And so here he is in this hungry state, and we see here in verse 3, right? The devil comes and says, why don't you turn these very rocks into bread? You're God. You can do it. Well, what's he really tempting him to do? He's trying to tempt him to not rely on the Father. Instead of relying on the Father's provision, instead of relying on the Father's timing, instead of relying on the Father's way, circumvent it, do your own thing. Why put yourself through so much discomfort, Jesus? Why, why submit yourself to so much hunger and discomfort? You have the ability to accomplish and fulfill your desires right now. You don't have to wait. You can fulfill your desires right now. Don't wait on God. Does this sound familiar? Does it ever happen in our life? Does our own flesh, the world, or the devil ever try to entice us to not do things God's way? To circumvent God's process? To circumvent God's provision in our life? You've got desires. You don't need to wait on God. Just do it yourself. This is such a clear reminder that no temptation is new. Like, you're not going to wake up tomorrow, and all of a sudden, some new form of temptation has erupted on the face of the earth. All the devil does is take the same temptations and repackage them and then represent them, right? Like, look what, like, as you're hearing him talk to Jesus this way, you should go all the way back to Genesis. Because in Genesis chapter 3, what does he do with Eve? Well, I know God said you shouldn't eat the fruit, but you know what? It looks desirous to eat, doesn't it? 
You don't have to wait on God. You don't have to obey God. You can just take it upon yourself. You've got the ability to grab that fruit and eat it. Why not? Go for it. God won't mind. Take it into your own hands. Go for it. This is just the same temptation he's pulling on Jesus. You'd think he'd know better, right? You'd think he'd be more creative. All the temptations he brings into our life, they're not new. He just repackages them and represents them. And some of us are dumb enough to go, okay, you know, and go after it. Other times we're like, uh, 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 I've seen this one. You did, that, you did that to Adam and Eve. Man, you did that to David. You even tried that on Jesus. You tried that on Peter. You're, now you're trying it on me. And so we see this as this temptation of self-reliance. Look, we have needs. We have desires. And a lot of those needs and desires, by the way, are God-given. Like, we have God-given desire for food, for relationships, for intimacy, right? But are we going to trust God's work and his timing, or are we going to try to meet those desires on our own? Are we going to try to false start by taking care of it on our own and try to fulfill our own desires outside of God's way, outside of God's timing? You know, don't wait on God. Hey, just steal it. You don't need to buy it. Hey, you can't afford that now. Just go and, pay f- just go and buy it now, and you'll pay for it later. Just rack up all the debt you want. Oh, you don't need to wait for intimacy. You're going to have sex now. You don't need to wait for marriage. You're going to fulfill that desire right now in your own way. You have that ability. Over and over and over again daily, the devil comes against us going, don't trust God's timing. Don't trust God's way. Just do it yourself. Self-reliance. You've got this. You don't need the Father. That was the struggle. Well, how do we fight back? How do we fight that? Well, how did Jesus fight it? Well, let's look what Jesus did. Look at verse 4. Jesus answered, I want you to pay attention to these next three words. It is written. Isn't that beautiful? It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I love what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is quoting out of Deuteronomy, the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. And he's quoting out of Deuteronomy 8, chapters 2 through 3. And what he's quoting from is a moment where Israel was in the wilderness. This is so cool about God. Jesus was in the wilderness experiencing temptation. And in a moment of temptation, he goes all the way back to Israel in the wilderness experiencing temptation. I love how God does that. And what he's referring back to is a time that uh, Israel was wandering through the desert and they were hungry. Now, I want you to understand what happened here. If you guys remember your Bible history, as Israel was wandering through the desert, God provided for them something called manna, right? It was bread. And God provided that bread for them every day, for 40 years, every day. I want you just to think about this for a second. What if for the next 40 years of your life, let's just make it short, let's just go for the next year of your life, you literally had no food. You had no access to food. But God gave you miraculous provision every single day. Every day he gave you something to eat. Now, how much dependence would you feel on God at that point? How much trust would you have in the Lord at that point if you go, I have no ability in myself to provide. So whatever God gives is all I've got. And every day he provided for you. And every day he provided for you. It's no wonder that we don't trust God the way we should, huh? Because we open up our cupboards and go, I got this. We open up our fridge and go, I've got this. Like we look at our bank accounts and we go, I got this. We don't need God. Until all of a sudden something flips us upside down. Oh, now we need God, right? See, Jesus is going back and saying, These people had a dependence on God. And I'm not going to be tempted to not depend on God. Because man doesn't live on bread alone. He lives on the very word of God that comes out of his mouth. See, Jesus is referring back to something that, see, see our physical hunger, we're going to feel that every day, all day, and it'll be temporarily temporarily fulfilled, and then we'll feel it again. But spiritual hunger, when you come into relationship with Jesus, when you feast on God's word, we're fulfilled. 
We're satisfied. And Jesus was referring to that. It is written. Now, notice, Jesus didn't debate. He didn't argue. He didn't discuss, you know, well, here's why I'm not going to turn the stones into bread. And, you know, what kind of bread? You want rye bread? You want wheat bread? Like what? Jesus didn't discuss it. He didn't argue. He didn't debate. He just shot back. It is written. Boom, God's word. That was his defense. But did you notice he also didn't say, oh, excuse me for a second, Satan. I need to pull out my scroll. I know it's in here somewhere. Um, Oh, yeah, right here. It was right here, right? God's word was in him. God's word was in him. So because it was in him, it was ready to fire off in that moment of need. We need to learn this, don't we? That's how we warded off this temptation. We need to get into God's word so that God's word's in us or else we go into the battle unarmed. Let's go to the second temptation. The second temptation really is a temptation of self-preservation in such a way that it's designed to test God. Now, here's what we see take place, right? So, so Satan's not successful in his first temptation, one for physical well-being. So now he comes to test the spiritual well-being. Do you really trust God? Is he really there? He's trying to plant, plant doubt through, through, through this temptation. And what you see here is the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, right? And he set him on the pinnacle of the temple. Just to give you a visual of what that is, uh, this is actually a picture of the model. There, if you go to Jerusalem, there's a massive model uh, bigger than the size of this room okay, that has the old uh, city of Jerusalem in it. And right in the middle of that model is a, is a picture of this temple. And if you notice at the temple, I put a red circle on the spot. It's the highest part of the wall. According to the historian Josephus, a Hebrew um, historian, that was about a 450-foot drop. That's the pinnacle of the temple. It's the highest point of the wall. It's very high. If you were to see that today, that's what it looks like. If you look at the very corner of the reconstructed wall in Jerusalem, this is the massive corner of the wall. And now this is where Satan and Jesus are hanging out. And what Satan says, basically, jump off this to see if God's real. And what he did, he said, oh, you want to quote scripture, Jesus? Okay, I can do that too. And what, Jesus, uh, what the devil does now is he pulls out of Psalm 91 a passage of scripture. The devil's now quoting scripture. By the way, this is a great reminder, right? People, including us, will use scripture to justify sin. People will use scripture to justify their personal agendas, their political persuasions, their personal viewpoints. Just because you quote a verse doesn't mean that you're using it right. And what happens is Satan takes a verse out of Psalm 91 that is actually designed to build trust in God, and he twists it to say, let's test God. See, he took it and he twisted it. That's what he does. We we have to have God's word on us so that we can be um, sharp enough that when someone tries to twist scriptures, we go, that's not accurate. That's out of context. You twisted that. That's not an appropriate use. You're pulling that verse out of its context to support something that doesn't really fit. That's exactly what the devil does. And he says, let's test God. Jesus, why don't you jump off this wall? Because the Bible says, Scripture says, that angels won't let you get hurt. And what he's basically trying to invite Jesus to do is play a silly game, jump off the wall to see if you're going to get hurt or not. See if God comes through. Does that sound like a familiar temptation? Just, just, just ask God to do this to see if he comes through. I want you to think about that for a second. What Satan was inviting Jesus to do was to defy natural consequences in light of a foolish decision. How many times have we made a foolish decision and then we ask God to do something about it, right? 
And then what we do is we blame God if he doesn't do something about it, right? I made the decision. It's got a natural consequence. God, bail me out or you're not real. Seriously? And so we put God in this little box and we come over with a silly little game and we say like, God, if you don't do this for me, then you know what? I don't know if you're real. And here's the deal. God is real. And we will either know that now by faith or we will know that later by regret. Jesus isn't going to have anything to do with this sarcastic little taunting to jump off a temple wall to see if the Father will come through for him. And let's be honest. We've done the same thing. God, if you're real, you'll, like this person, you'll make this person like me. God, if you're real, uh, have money show up in the mail. God, if you're real, then do something good for me or make this bad thing go away. We want God to help us dodge natural consequences of decisions that we have made or circumstances that we're in to test the reality of God. How silly is it to try to put God in that situation? Well, what did Jesus do? How did he overcome this? How do we overcome this? Well, let's look what Jesus did. Look at verse 7. Again, no debate. Jesus uses God's word with precision accuracy, unlike the devil, to deflect the temptation. Verse 7. Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And what he does, he goes back again now to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. He pulls out a portion of scripture from when Israel was wandering around the desert. And here's, here's what's so silly, man. Israel has seen God show up over and over and over and over again. They saw the plagues. They miraculously were rescued out of Egypt. They saw the Red Sea split. They saw pillar of cloud and pillar of fire, you know, lead them through this area. They have manna from heaven, feeding them daily. Now they're in a moment where they're, out, they're without water for a little bit, and they start to uh, moan and complain and say, I don't know if God's with us. Like, how, how could you come to the conclusion that God's not with you? Have you not seen all that he's done? And yet we do the same thing, right? Like right now, if I were to give you an hour and a piece of paper and a pen and say, write down all the ways you've seen God with you in your life. I would venture to say we could come up with quite a few things. Then all of a sudden we get stuck and we go, well, now I don't know if God's real. I don't know if he's, he's with me right now. And we're tempted to say, well, God, if you're real, show up again. Well, God did provide for them. He gave them water. But the bottom line here, Jesus is saying, no, I'm not going to test God. I'm not going to test him like Israel tested him in the wilderness. I'm not going to test God, test the Father with such a silly little action as like jumping off the wall. It's written. And because the word of God was in Jesus, it comes out and it helps him have victory in the struggle. And we too can have victory in our struggles if the word of God comes out. But in order for the word of God to come out, the word of God has to be in us. That's why we have to live in God's word. We've got to be in God's word so God's word is in us. We look at the third temptation. The third temptation, almost humorous, quite honestly. Verse 8 and 9, we look at this. And the devil took him to a very high mountain. Now, if you travel through Israel, uh, you'll see lots of different terrain, but there's lots of mountains that are very high. And you can climb some of these high mountains and you'll see multiple countries. You can look over Israel. You can look over and see Jordan. You can look over and see Lebanon. You can look, look over and see Syria. And you can see these other countries. And so Jesus and Satan are now on this high mountain overlooking multiple um, you know, uh, arrays of land. And Satan says, look at all these kingdoms of the world and their glory. I'll give them to you if you fall down and worship me. Like this is almost like makes me just want to laugh out loud. This little punk rebellious angel comes to the one who created all things. Like, Jesus spoke everything into existence. And Satan's going, look, 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 I'll make you a deal. I'll make you a deal. If you worship me, I'll let you have that little piece of land over there. 
You can be a king. It's like, <laughs> you are not the brightest bulb in the box, are you? What is he tempting Jesus to do? He's tempting Jesus to take a shortcut. He's tempting Jesus with pride and glory and self-exaltation. Look, I'll exalt you. You you can be worshipped now. You can rule now. You can have authority now. You can have power now if you just worship me. See, Jesus knew that his road to glory was going to be a painful one. He knew it was going to be one of sorrow. Jesus knew that he was going to be betrayed and rejected by the people that he loved. He knew that he was going to be beaten. He knew that he was going to be spit upon. He knew that he was going to have the hairs of his beard pulled out and a crown of thorns shoved into his head. He knew that he was going to be whipped. And he knew that he was going to be hung on a cross, nailed to a cross. He knew that. This is not an easy road, but he also knew he was going to rise from the grave. He also knew that he was going to conquer sin and death. He also knew that he was going to ascend to the Father, take his rightful place on the throne over all things for all times. And Satan's trying to tempt him with a shortcut. It's crazy. He still does the same thing to us, right? Avoid suffering. Avoid difficulty. Take the shortcut. Why wait for God to show up in the middle of suffering? Why endure hardship? Look, build your own kingdom. Man, make your bank account as big as it can be. Make a name for yourself. Let's find a Bible verse that says make a name for ourselves, shall we? Good luck with that. But we are to make a great name, all right. We're supposed to make the name of Jesus great. Faced with this temptation, what did Jesus do? I don't know. He tried something different. Or not. Jesus responds, verse 10, then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. He fought that one too with the word of God. You want me to worship you? You want me to serve you? God's word says to worship the Lord and to only serve him. Game over. No contest. I'm not biting. Sorry. Man, we have that same ability through God's word, my friends. That when Satan comes to us, when our flesh comes to us, when the world comes to us, tries to lead us to be self-exalting, to lead us to take shortcuts, we can fight back with the word of God. Look, there's, there's only certain things that Jesus could do. Only Jesus could speak the worlds into existence, right? Only Jesus calmed the storm in the Sea of Galilee. Only Jesus fed the 4,000, then later fed the 5,000. Only Jesus did certain miracles. But here, he demonstrates something for us that we all can do. We can all say, it is written. We can all fire off scripture to overcome the struggles in our life and have victory. But we will only have victory in our struggles if we fight back with an accurate and acute knowledge of God's word. We're only going to have victory if we live in the word of God so that the word of God lives in us, so that it's ready available, that it's in our hearts and our minds and our mouths as we navigate the challenges of life. You know, I remember as a young man, I was at a men's conference many years ago. It's this young guy. And there was this pastor. Some of you might have heard of him. His name is Evie Hill. He's with the Lord now. But Evie Hill was teaching out this passage. I'll never forget this. This was so many years ago. But he was teaching out this passage. And he said, every time the devil came against Jesus, he hit him with the Bible. He hit him with Scripture. And then he got the whole group of men saying, hit him, hit him. Nothing like a bunch of men just shouting, hit him. It's just so masculine, you know, whatever. Um, 
But it stuck with me that every time the devil comes against me, I just need to hit him with the scripture. But if I don't have any scripture in me, I've got nothing to hit him with. And so we have to put the word of God in us. Well, how do we do that? I just want to spend a few minutes talking just nuts and bolts, practical application. For a lot of you, this is basic, this review, you're doing this. For some of you, this is new. Let's just review how to get the word of God in us. First, you got to get a Bible. I know that sounds really crazy, but you got to start there. Get a Bible. Some of you still don't have a Bible. You've got to get a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we'll give you one for free out in the information center, all right? Um, you can go online, man. You, you can go online to lifeway.com, christianbook.com. You can order a Bible. If you're a try before you're by kind of person and you want to touch it first, uh, there's a family Christian bookstore in Strongsville across the mall. You can go look at some Bibles and check them out or whatever. Um, but you've got to get a Bible. Now, on that note, I want to talk a little bit about the differences in Bibles because we're asked this often. I'm just going to navigate through this little graph for a second. Look at the gold ribbon. Uh, you basically have three big categories of where the translations of the Bibles fall because we know the Bible was written in Hebrew and Greek, right? And so uh, what you see on the far right there is there are those translations that are more word-for-word translations. The, these scholars really did everything they could to transcribe word for word the best of our ability from those original languages into English. And so those are the Bibles that are more word for word accurate. New American Standard Bible, uh, the King James, New King James, the ESV, which is what we teach out of, and then so forth. Then you have another section of translations that are more thought for thought. The scholars did a great job capturing the thought for thought, the gist for gist, and they didn't worry about every little knick-knack for for word for word translation. And so you'll see the NIV and the NLT and some of those fall into that category. Then way over on the other side, you you have paraphrase. Paraphrase is good just for some texture, just for some, you know, deeper understanding of some of the concepts, not good for personal study necessarily on deeper levels. And so, you know, we highly recommend the ESV. We teach out the ESV. Uh, I highly encourage you, if you don't have one, get a, get a study Bible. The ESV study Bible is amazing, and its online support is amazing. You have at your fingertips um, thousands of links and informations and commentaries and all those things online now that we've never had before. And so, but you've got to start by getting a Bible. Once you have it, let's do the obvious. You've got to read the Bible. Do you have a special place, a special time, a special rhythm to be in the Word of God? Um, do, when, you, when you get into the Bible, make sure you're praying. It's always good to just say, Lord, I'm about to open your Word. Would you just teach me and help me understand what I'm about to read? Uh, you've got to, uh, don't have to have, but it's very good to have a Bible reading plan, just a guide for what to read. If, I don't recommend just daily opening up and just flipping to something. I mean, God will use it, but I think it's better to have a plan. God might deviate you from the plan, but have a plan. So we've got a Bible reading plan here at CVC. Uh, they're out in the information center, uh, just a hard copy. I always have one of these tucked inside my Bible so I can have a guide. Also, it's online. You can go online to cvconline.org, our social media, and you can, you know, get, get it ver- digitally. All my devices have a screenshot of the Bible reading plan and the weeks to come so I can always have access to it. But it's always good to have a Bible reading plan with you um, so you have a plan. Now, some of you have asked during the Living News study, how do I do this? How do I do the Bible reading plan and the Living News study? Because we've got this amazing you know, book with, with great information and great study in it, but, but how do I do this and the Bible reading plan? Well, just take it as fits best for you. Uh, some people are finding themselves doing the Living News study in the morning and then maybe reading the Bible plan verse at night. Or a lot of times what I find myself doing is I'll read the Bible reading in the morning early, and a little bit later in the morning, I'll do my living new. Sometimes I'll do them back to back. I'm amazed how God does stuff because 
Uh, for example, we were teaching on sanctification a couple weeks ago, and we were in Hebrews, and some of you are going, yeah, 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 I know. Um, and Hebrews was talking about sanctification. And you're like, ah, I'm in the living new, and I'm in it in the Bible. This is amazing, you know? And, and it was reinforcing that. Uh, just however it works best for you, just, just be in it. You can still do both. Also, a big part of being in God's Word is not just reading it, but to understand it, to study it. And so basic Bible exegesis, there's the inductive study, which is observation. What does the passage uh, you know, say? Then there's interpretation. What does the passage mean? And then there's application. How do I live this out in my life? Uh, our founding pastor, Rick Duncan, has put together a great uh, journal that, that kind of walks through that type of a process. It's called the Live New Journal. Uh, these are great to get if you don't have one. Uh, pick it up and use it after our Living New study, where uh, the L stands for learn, like what scripture am I in? What am I looking at? Uh, I investigate or inspect, I look a little closer at what the passage is saying, and then value what's, what, what's the meaning that can be drawn out, and, and then how does it apply to my life, and then E, express, how can I write down a prayer, or a note to God to express what I've learned, just, just something to help you get to the next level of study. But what's really going to make the difference here, and we've seen it in the life of Jesus in this passage, we've talked about it, is you've got to memorize Scripture. I've said this before, it's a constant conviction, it should be, that we've got thousands of song lyrics memorized, we've got tons of movie lines memorized, but we don't have a lot of scripture memorized. And really the only difference is that the level of priority and the level of repetition. A lot of times those song lyrics are in us because we just constantly sing those songs and listen to those songs and it's repetitive. So if you're struggling with scripture, you just have to you know, submit yourself to a repetitive process in the same way. Uh, read it, three by five cards, tick notes around your house, listen to it on your phone, record yourself, listen to it later, have it you know, pop up as an alert in your device or you know, little uh, three by five cards in special places. Just keep it before you and, and be repetitive about it and memorize it. And th- this is how it can help us live in God's word. And many of you have experienced the benefits, the victories of God's word being in you so that when you struggle, God's word comes out of you. Uh, a lot of us can tell that story. I do want to go with one story in specific. Uh, specifically, we have a young man that graduated from our youth ministry uh, last year. His name is Anthony. Anthony just had a huge um, burst of spiritual growth at the end of his high school year, and now he's at college at Liberty University. And, and I asked Anthony if he could share a little bit about what being in God's Word has done for him. And he sent me a YouTube video, super enthusiastic, super engaging. It was a little long for this morning, so we'll tweak it a little bit, put it on our social media. Highly encourage you to look at it this week because his enthusiasm is very uh, contagious. But here's what Anthony said about Scripture and the impact it had in his life. He said, I came to Christ when I was about eight, but I started truly following Christ when I was a freshman in high school. My time in the Word of God was sporadic at first and not very concrete. My senior year... I dedicated myself to try and be in the Word of God every day. I talked to my best friend Joe about this, and we held each other accountable to be in the Word, and that really helped. Bible memorization has probably been the most quintessential part of making Scripture a part of me. Psalm 119, 9 through 11 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your Word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I don't necessarily have a life verse. But this one encompasses why I love memorizing scripture and has really helped me. Since the beginning of this year, this is mind-blowing, guys. This is is convicting. It's amazing. I haven't done this. This is is, uh, just a unique level of dedication. He goes, since the beginning of this year, I have memorized over 270 verses. Holy smokes, man. This is a young man hungry for the word of God and seeing it giving benefits in his life. He goes, 
I've memorized all of 2 Timothy, Romans 8-10, through 10, Psalm 118, as well as other chapters and verses. Memorizing Scripture and putting it inside of you is very important to me, and I think it should be for every believer. This has really helped me in the areas I've struggled with. As a teenage guy, lust can be a problem. From my parents' divorce, I had a lot of pent-up anger, and I've been very prideful. Memorizing Scripture has really helped to humble me, to quench my pride and my anger, and helped me deal with my lust because only the Word of God is able to heal. Only the Word of God is living and active, and that's how God speaks to us. I encourage everybody to be in the Bible and to memorize Scripture. If you can't memorize big chunks, memorize a paragraph. If you can't memorize a paragraph, memorize a verse. If you can't memorize a verse, memorize half a verse. Just start small and work your way into the bigger and bigger things. Just repeat it over and over. If you put God's word inside of your heart, then the Holy Spirit is going to bring it out of you and it's going to change your life. Amen. Praise God for that young man. And here's the deal. Anthony's currently at Liberty University. He's, he's pursuing a global studies degree. His heart's desire is to take what he has discovered in a relationship with Jesus, the hope, the peace, the joy, the truth of Jesus, into a world that doesn't know. And so even this uh, January, he's going to be in Africa for four months on an internship, trying to live what he's uh, preaching and teaching and learning. And so all of this is, is hugely impacted by his time in the Word. And by the way, if you call CVC home, you're a part of Anthony's journey. Because of your serving, because of your praying, because of your giving here, young men like Anthony are experiencing new life in Christ, and now God's using them to help others experience new life in Christ. So thank you. Thank you for serving. Thank you for praying. Thank you for giving, because this is the kind of stuff that takes place when we're faithful. But Anthony is just one of us that can testify to the power of God's word in our life. And so my, my plea, my encouragement, my challenge is whatever you have to do next, whatever I have to do next, to get more of God's word in us, let's do it. Because we have to live in God's word for God's word to live in us so that we can overcome the struggles in our life. Amen? And for those of you who might be here or watching online that you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you gotta start there. And maybe during this time, God just brought understanding to your mind that you need a relationship with God. You've heard about the cross. You've heard about the resurrection. You've heard about God's word. Uh, Our encouragement to you is just to humbly and authentically come to God and say, God, I'm broken, I'm sinful, I'm a mess, I need you. And I'm going to take a step of faith today and believe in Jesus and his death and resurrection for my sin. And if you do that, make sure you let us know so we can follow up and help you. The best way you can do that is get out that response card in front of you or in your program and just write down, I'm giving my life to Christ and turn it in in the baskets that combine a little bit and we will follow up with you to tell, tell you how you can grow in your relationship with Jesus. So that's our strong encouragement for you as well. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the reminder of the power of your word. Thank you for the demonstration of the power of your word. Thank you that you gave us this moment in the life of Christ to to not just teach us, but to show us that we can overcome temptation and struggles in our life. We can have victory through your word. And so, Lord Jesus, in your name, we pray that you will help us take that next step to live in your word so that your word would live in us. God, I pray none of us will leave here today um, uh, just, just checking out. Lord, I pray that we all leave here today taking some step of application, of growth, and being a self-feeder. God, draw us to your word. Lord, even when we don't feel like it, Lord, when we don't desire your word, let us do it at least out of discipline in that moment then, Lord, just to be faithful. 
God, you're so good to us. We love you, we praise you, and we ask for this in Jesus' name. We all said, amen.